Hi, this is Vinny Apathy, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Welcome to Strange Highways Exit 3, the third installment of our Mighty Metal Strange Highways project, which was Dio's 1994 release. The first two segments featured Jeff Pilsen in segment one and guitarist Tracy G in segment two. This week, we sit down with the third core of the Dio lineup that recorded Strange Highways. That would be... It's ironic that Richie isn't here to do the front end of this one because the one guy who worked tirelessly of trying to get Vinny on the show for this was Richie. We had several near misses over a whole bunch of months before we finally ended up getting a hold of Vinny. We even had Rex Brown on the case. We had Jeff trying to help us. He's a tough guy to to actually nail down and get to talk with. But uh, then again, he is quite the busy guy too, doing lots of stuff. So part of Richie's real impetus of wanting so badly to get Vinny involved in this project was the fact that Vinny was the one guy who'd work with Dio long before everybody else did. You have to figure that Vinny went on working with Black Sabbath back in 1980. So even before he was on that first album with them, he had actually done some touring for the Heaven and Hell album after Bill Ward couldn't do the tour anymore. So he'd been working with Ronnie off and on for a long time. And of course, you know, did that several albums of Black Sabbath. Then he went over with Dio and did the classic stuff with Holy Diver, Last in Line, Sacred Heart. You know, all those classic Dio albums as well. So this guy, you know, he had been into Dio's mind for years. And of course, he's also the one guy who was part of the original lineup that was slated to record Strange Highways. So he's the one guy who kind of understands the genesis of Strange Highways from the very beginning of it, just kind of having that inception in Ronnie's mind. And of course, on the last two segments of this massive metal project, on the first one, Jeff related the story about Ronnie and Vinny showing up at his house to ask him to play bass for the band. And then, of course, Tracy talked a lot, too, about trying to figure out who exactly had kind of recommended him into the band. And he kind of thought that maybe it was Vinny because Vinny had a past relationship with Tracy with the uh, World War III project. So really what I'm saying is Vinny's integral to this whole story and was really important for us to try to get his take on all those events all those years ago. So we're able to finally nail him down on the third date of the Kill Devil Hill tour, just before they went on stage. And actually, Richie almost had this kind of a bummed out moment because we did give him a call. And then Vinny was like, "Ah, can I call you back? I want to get a bite to eat. And we were thinking, oh, crap, we've, we've missed him again. But he did call us back like 20 minutes later. We had a great talk, so much so that you know, after figuring how ah, this guy needs to get on stage in a little while, he probably wants to just kind of relax and chill. And in the interview, you can actually hear me ask him, Vinny, you want to kind of wind this up? I know you want to go probably chill and stuff. And he's like, no, no, you know, he was having a good time. So, you know, we got to talk to him for even longer than we thought we were going to. So after all the effort and everything, it turned out to be just a really cool talk with Vinny. And we did get some good backstory on Strange Highways. So, of course, you know, we've had a lot of great feedback so far on the first two episodes of this seems like everybody out here is really interested in this and is really glad that we're doing it. We're glad we're doing it as well. So as we keep bringing these episodes to you, 
We hope that everybody continues to get something great out of it. I think that everybody that we have on for every different episode has their unique perspectives about the album, about how it was recorded, about what went on. So I know you guys didn't tune in to hear me yakka yak. You really want to hear what Vinny has to say about Strange Highways. So welcome to Strange Highways. Exit three. Richie has done it. He has finally gotten us Vinny Apathy. The circle's complete on Strange Highways. So on the line with us tonight is the one and only Vinny Apathy. How are we doing tonight, Vinny? I'm doing good. Thanks awesome. for having me over here. Thanks. We appreciate it. Obviously, tonight you're out playing with Kill Devil Hill, correct? Yeah, we're in, uh, uh, where are we? Chino or Chico? We're in Chico, California. I get it mixed up. <laughs> Somewhere north of San Francisco and, uh, these are kind of like warm-up shows for the record release party, which is tomorrow at the Roxy in Hollywood, so we're playing there. <clears throat> so we did like three warm-up shows. This is the, the last one. Awesome. Yeah, new long. Yeah. I know when we talked to Rex, he was pretty psyched about getting out there and being able to play these songs live and stuff, so he was all psyched, so it sounds like it's uh, going pretty good. Yeah, so far so good. So we've been, uh, you know, I only did two shows, but it's fun because we got a, the album's coming out tomorrow, and it's... Uh, it's actually cool playing the new songs, you know, and uh, mixing them with the old songs. And it's, it seems like the set's working good and it's fun to play. So that's that, that really makes it easy, you know. Yeah, definitely. That was what, you know, Rex was really talking about, too. He was really looking forward to, you know, having two albums of material to draw from and really get a cool set together. Yeah. I know that you guys aren't going to be hitting the East Coast for, for quite a bit, but I know we're definitely looking forward to when you guys come around to the East Coast. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. We won't get there this time. Probably next year. Right. Early in the year. Yeah. That'd yeah. Be cool. Diving into Strange Highways, and obviously, you know, you're the the last guy where we've been able to talk to. It's kind of interesting that we've talked to all the different people and asked them about how the band came together and all that. But it kind of occurred to us that there's almost this kind of a a part that came before everybody else came with you and Ronnie and Jimmy. It's kind of almost that part that we haven't gotten to talk about yet with anybody because they weren't there. And obviously, you know, you being with Ronnie for such a long time, as far as getting that band together for that album, what was the intention at that point to get kind of an unknown guitar player or somebody that was lesser known and bring them in? Or, you know, what was it well, kind of the thought? Well, uh, what happened was, uh, you know, before that I had left Dio to go play uh, you know, with, it was just, I was with Dio for a long time and it was, I thought it was time to maybe try something else. So I left and then uh, I went to play with, uh, wound up in a band called World War Three with Tracy G and Jimmy Bain. And, you know, it was, that was fun. It was a cool band, cool music. And that's how I met Tracy. So when, uh, it came back right after that, uh, the, the Sabbath, the humanizer era, happened so that they called me for that and so then I hooked back up with Ronnie and then after 
it's like a repeat of history. We did a Sabbath album, then it was like, okay, I'm going to go off on my own again. And uh, so I went with Ronnie, and um, so we needed a guitar player. So I, I tell him about Tracy J. He he liked what he heard, and then I uh, played him some songs, and then we had Tracy come down, and Tracy's a real nice guy, and got along with Ron real good. So <clears throat> Ronnie decided to use Tracy, hmm. you know, on my recommendation, and then uh, Jimmy was in the band. And, uh, but at that point, you know, uh, as time went on, it didn't work out with Jimmy, you know, certain problems here and there. Mm -hmm. And we wound up uh, needing a bass player. So uh, one of our best friends is Jeff Pilsen, who still is one of my best friends and buddies and Ronnie too. And, uh, so we said, let's call Jeff and see if he's available because he's such a great bass player. And we, you know, I love playing with him and, uh, Ronnie loves him. And so that's how Jeff wound up in in that particular line, <clears throat> lineup, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so it wasn't that we wanted an unknown guitar player. It was just that we wanted somebody good that would fit in, you know? Yeah. But, uh, and he, he, he happened to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And of any word or a lot of guitar players that tried out for the, the lineup. I'm sorry. What was that? Were there a lot of guitar players that tried out before Tracy got the gig? Do you remember? He, you know, I don't remember. I, I believe there might've been a, the word got out and we listened to a lot of tapes. I know we did before Rowan Robinson was in the band, you know, lock up the wolves era. Yeah. That hundreds of tapes and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, with Tracy, I think it was more that <clears throat> we didn't, I recommended him and it happened fast. So we didn't have to go through that with the tapes and auditions and dif different things like that. You know? So we didn't, as far as I remember, we didn't audition anybody else. Okay. Other than Tracy. Okay. When you guys started jamming and stuff and you and you had brought Tracy in, now did Ronnie kind of already have kind of an idea of where he kind of wanted to go with this and did Tracy fit that vision or was it just that organically as you guys worked and jammed together that Ronnie just decided, hey, I like where this is going and went with it? Yeah, it was kind of organic. You know, Ronnie always had an idea. He wanted to kind of do like a heavy Sgt. Pepper album, you know, oh. which was a great idea, but it's, it's easier to said than done, you know, <laughs> and that's for sure. So, uh, you know, we've had that vision of wanting to do something like that. So it just happened with Tracy, <clears throat> more organic, you know, Ronnie doesn't really tell the guitar player exactly what to play if it came down to it, you know, and, and uh, he lets everybody pretty much do their thing and do their signature and their sound and stuff. So that's why Tracy's sound was more of a dark, dark sound compared to the previous Dio stuff, which was heavy, but maybe more melodic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know, Tracy, Tracy was more dark. So, uh, so Ronnie just used what the tools he had in the band and, and made, we made it comfortable for him and, uh, for him, his vocals and stuff. So it's, it's more of an organic process. Just, Let's see what happens. Let's see how it sounds, you know. Now, were you surprised, Vinny, when um, when Ronnie got Mike Fraser in to produce the album because he'd produced all the ones previously? Yeah, I think at that time it was like, okay, we need to build the band back up and maybe we should get a producer now and a name producer. And uh, and that Mike, a couple people were brought up uh, and then Mike seemed to fit the bill really good. He got a big, big drum sound, big, big sound on everything. So... Uh, but that's, uh, you know, Ronnie chose him. And he's a nice guy. He was nice working with him and stuff. And uh, but I think he was more of a, he didn't 
produce it as far as the songs so much as the sounds, you know? Yeah. So he wasn't that deep into the production of songs, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Bronny knows what he wants to hear and as far as the songs and the arrangements and things like that. So Mike was more on the engineering side and production. Yeah, I know when we talked to Mike, and he was pretty much of that same attitude of basically, wow, the stuff they came up with, there was nothing I'd want to change. It was just sonically working with it a little bit. But he said that pretty much everything that you guys were coming up with was just peerless. So why screw with it? Yeah. With you having pretty much the longest history with with Ronnie in the band, is there kind of um, a partnership between you guys and that maybe he would come back and ask you, you know, what you, you know, individually, what did you think, Van, about that? Should we, should we do this? We do this. Did she kind of utilize you as that right-hand man sounding board for the album? Yeah, yeah, we always did that. And, and I'm not one to just sit there and play the drums. You know, I have a lot of ideas with any of the bands I'm with, and I voice those ideas, you know, because I, I'm, I know what it should feel like. I know what it should sound like, too. And uh, I know with the first album, the two albums, the first two albums were really successful. So, uh, and I know what it's like to play those songs. And it's more of a free form, uh, dynamic kind of thing that builds, the songs build and swell. And, and Ronnie's able to sing, you know, and bring it up on certain parts and bring it down. And so I know what we're looking for, too. So we've been together for so long, we're on the same page. So we bounce off each other a lot, you know. A lot of times, uh, the way the whole Dio band started was me and Ronnie. You know, before Holy Diver, Ronnie played bass, so I played drums. Sometimes he played guitar, and I played the drums. And we just jammed together. Mm. And, uh, so we have a good relationship musically that way to bounce off of each other. And it worked. You know, when we talked to Tracy, he was just kind of raving on and on about just calling you kind of this awesome, incredible groove machine and how incredible <laughs> it was to work with you that, that you just came up with these grooves that would just, as a guitar player, would just suck him right in. And, and he just loved playing. You know, he was like, I would like, if Vinny called me today, I would drop everything and play with him because he just was yeah. just so psyched about the amount of groove that you brought into the song. And it is cool to listen to them because it is one of those nice things. It's it's not regimented. Like you said, there's kind of this right. nice swing to it. Yeah, there's a swing to it. And there's a, usually, you know, instead of just playing uh, with the song, I play in the song, mm. you know. You know, the song, to me, when I play some of these songs, when when they're good and I like them, and it, it's like painting to me it's like all these colors and and i want to and i want to come up with something that fits that song not just play two two and four you know behind it you know play something that really is woven into the song and uh so i tend to listen like that a little different which gives it a groove and, and tracy had a great chord playing you know tracy was a great chord player like iomi you know tony was you know, a lot of guitar players could shred and play solos, and but Tony could play riffs on with chords and just monster big riffs and concentrate on chords. And and Tracy kind of did that, so mm. it was cool. Uh, you know, when I first heard him play, and uh, I, I I dug the fact that he wasn't only shredding and going crazy like a lot of the LA guitar players. He had <laughs> yeah. this great big chord sound and groove. He grooved too. Yeah. So it worked, it worked, you know, minor chords and all that cool stuff.
yeah, definitely he's got that cool style that's in there. And yeah, I mean, I can remember in that era too, like trying to try out guitar players, and that's where they'd all come in and we'd all joke that, okay, here comes the Weedly Weedlies. It was like, can you guys play a rhythm? Yeah. Like any rhythm for three bars, play a rhythm. And they just couldn't do it. It was just got to be yeah. ridiculous. But definitely, <laughs> like, like a, per- a, yeah. a great example. A great example of chord playing besides Tony is like Steve Stevens. You know, mm-hmm. listen to uh, the, those Billy Idol albums, and he's playing chords that are just rip, ripping, and and they're melodic and they got rhythm to them, and they feel just amazing. Some of the stuff like he played, yeah. And it wasn't leads; it was these chords that drove the whole song. It's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, and it's funny you bring up Steve Stevens because, like Tracy, he's also known for also being able to make some of those oddball effects with the guitar, like the, yeah, that's when, true. Too. You know, the ray gun and stuff like that. So it's it is right. cool. That he knows how to how to use the instrument to do other things too. So yeah, that's definitely. Right. You know, we had talked to. Uh, not only the guys that, that played on the album with you, but we'd also played with some of your tour mates from Europe and your tour mates in the U.S. as well. And th- those guys all talked about how great the touring was and stuff. Of course, they were kind of newer to the game on that. And, if, and even when we talked to Tracy about the tours and the difference between the U.S. tours and the European tours, he was just pretty much just so happy to actually be playing with guys of your caliber out there and just having fun. But we had asked him if he felt there was some level of disappointment of the kind of the lack of turnout on the U.S. tour. And you know, how did you and, you and Ronnie feel about that, that you had pretty decent turnout in the in the Europe, but not as good in the U.S.? Well, you know, it's, I mean, we were big everywhere at one point, you mm-hmm. know, selling the arenas out, and it was big, big, big stuff. And then, uh, you know, to see it go down to, here we are playing some, I remember there was one place, I think it was, it was in the States, but it was like, the stage was two parts. There was a stage on one side, and the rest of the stage was on the other side, and I was on one side, and Ronnie was on the other side. And I just looked over, and I just felt really bad. I went, you know, this, Ronnie, Ronnie doesn't deserve playing in this fucking shithole, you know? Yeah. i raise a practical question at this point. Yeah. Are we going to do Stonehenge tomorrow? No, we're not going to fucking do Stonehenge. You know, but we had to do what we had to do. Music, the times changed, music changed, and uh, it was a different band. You know, yeah. but it's just more of a turn, the way that music turned at that point. It was more possibly, uh, I don't know what it was turning in at that point, but, uh, you know, it was not on the up, upward swing. Yeah. <laughs> You know, there's also this case that, you know, like in Europe, they tend to they tend to hold on to a band. So if, you know, if if they're a Dio fan, then it doesn't matter what the album sounds like. They are supportive of Dio. It seems like here in America, we tend to be a little bit more finicky. And if someone does something that might be a little bit different, rather than listen to it and give it a chance, a lot of times we tend to go, ah, I'm done and move on too. Well, you're absolutely right. They're more passionate about their music. And, you know, that's why now to this day, uh, I just came back from Japan, well, not Japan, well, I did, Japan, but we also played uh, the uh, Bloodfest Festival at Last in Line with Vivian Campbell, and the, the people went crazy, you know? Yeah. And uh, they're just passionate about their music, they love metal and heavy stuff, that's why there's all those big festivals are still there. Hmm. In America, there used to be Texas Jam, California Jam, there were a lot of 
big rock festivals. You don't even hear about hear about too many of them anymore. You know? No, it's it's true. Yeah, because you know Richie's from Ireland, and and you know he's always asked me about like festivals around here, and I have to be. It really, I have to think about like what is there because yeah. for him, I mean, the Lucky Bastards have gone to all kinds of great festivals, and yeah. and we've got nothing, you know. So, Finney, I yeah. was I was I was in Donington in '87. I think you played, and I think it was uh, Dream Evil. I think you played that that gig. You did. Which one? Which one? Eighty-seven in Donington. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I, did, I, yeah. I was at that gig. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, that's yeah, cool. Yeah. We just came back from Belfast. Yeah. All right. That, yeah, did, that last in line shows. Yeah, we just did last in line over there. That was uh, the first show of the European. Uh, we had four shows, and uh, you know, the singer Andy Freeman, who's a good friend of mine, mm-hmm. great singer. Yeah, it was his first show, so it was pretty. <laughs> throw him in front of a Belfast audience. Oh, they loved him. They I, loved the whole band. Because the band, you know what? The band kicked ass. Yeah. There's nothing like playing together with that band. Jimmy, me, and Viv. Yeah. And Claude Schnell. Yeah, I was going to ask you now, at this stage of your career, Vinny, what's more surprising? The fact that you're starting up a, a, a new band from the ground up? Or that you're playing with the guys that you played with in Dio, you know. Uh, no, the Dio, the Dio thing is amazing because who would have thought that, like, 30 years later, we can go out? I mean, we, you know, and and play in front of good crowds and soaring people. You know, I mean, we're playing some clubs in the states, and we played clubs in Europe, but they were packed. Yeah. And then we did the festival, and it was uh, the place was empty before we went on. And then there was six thousand people there at the festival, Blood Fest. Uh, so it's, it's like sitting back on wow, I finally got something. Like when I played with Ronnie, I thought, oh, this guy done Rainbow and Sabbath. What a back catalog to fall back on, you know? And it's still popular today. And so here I am in that similar shoes, not quite as big. Yeah. But this stuff is still people want to hear it, and people are loving it. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing, you know. The new band is great too. I always wanted to have a new band from scratch, but this it's a, it's hard it's a hard sell right now. It's yeah. hard to make the break this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going out there and, and pounding away. But uh, the other thing, last in line is way more uh, you know, special because it's so it's thirty years and it's still popular. Yeah. Amazing. Are there amazing. Are, are there any tracks that you're playing on the last in line shows that you never played with Ronnie? Oh yeah, we're doing Invisible, we're doing uh, uh Caught in the Middle, uh all the um uh, 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 game think. Uh, yeah, we're playing <laughs> yeah, we're playing a lot of songs we didn't we didn't do live with Ronnie. Yeah. Yeah. We're playing most of the first album, a lot of the second album and uh uh, Evil Eyes, I Speed at Night. We played them sometimes, but not that much. But Invisible, Caught in the Middle, uh, what else? There's a couple other ones we haven't played. So, and we, you know, and they sound great. Why did we play these? You know, <laughs> we didn't have. We had plenty of material back then. That's why. Yeah, we were doing Sabbath and Rainbow and, and Dio stuff. Mm-hmm. It is pretty nice that people are coming out to see those shows and just enjoying the music and everything, living the memories. So it's a cool concept. You know, I was lucky yeah. enough to see you guys the last two runs of Heaven and Hell. Saw you, um, I think it was either the last or the second to last North American date you guys did, which was in Boston. Great, great show. Kind of an offbeat question about the the Heaven and Hell stuff. 
with with your drum kit on that show, I just used to love the the way you had those side mounted toms that were on kind of those yeah. spring loaded deals. And right. um, one time I got to see it in kind of a more of an arena setting, so I kind of was looking down watching you do it. Those things are just amazing. Now, was that something that took like a long time to engineer and develop those that whole rigor? <laughs> It took years to develop the hydraulic system to make them do that and and build it, incorporate it into the drum set, you know? kidding they were just bungee cords <laughs> it's the best ten dollar effect i ever had let me tell you we've had everything from laser drumsticks to pyro blowing up to big giant spinning wheels drum risers that went up to the lighting truss and this we what we did was we had those toms mounted and then we just bungee cord with the heavy rubber bungee cords on the bottom of them so when you pull it toward me and I let it go, it would just go back and forth, but it wouldn't drop. It wouldn't fall. So I started using it as, you know, as doing fills on it. And once I got used to it, I didn't even look at it. I just pulled it toward me, let it spin, you know, rock back and forth. The other one rocked on people. Everybody noticed it. Chicks even noticed it. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, pretty cool. Cause... I was going to run up and catch your drum. I thought it was going to fall. It was the best effect ever, and it cost $10. Because it did look like you guys had done some, you know, like custom-engineered springs or something, because it was so damn repeatable. Every time you did it, I was just like, I'd watch it. It was just like almost hypnotic. It was just so predictable how it would come back. Wow, like how the hell is he doing it? It did, yeah. lo- it did look awesome, though, when you get, when you had it going like that. I used to do similar stuff with D.O. years ago, but the drums up there were bigger so they were harder to control. They were bigger drums, so I had to... Uh, uh, what I did was, after the drum solo, I would push them over. My Brody would, drum tech would catch them, you know? Because mm-hmm. uh, they were big. They were 20-inch and 18-inch. These were small. They were 14-inch and 15-inch. So they're very easy to control. So I was able to pull them back and forth and 
But man, the effect was great. Everybody, everybody, everybody knows that everybody's on talk about it. That's pretty funny. And I think that both you and and your brother, you've always kind of been that showman drummer too. So it's like you have the groove and you can play your asses off. But you know, kind of like with Buddy Rich, you you brought the show to it as well. So it's kind of hard not right. to notice you. Right. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. We that's called playing lead drums. <laughs> <laughs> play lead drums you know the band see all the bands I play with this is not an ego statement or anything like that but the bands play to me yeah. the bands play to Carmine the bands play to John Bonham you yep. know there's a difference than you playing to the band you know and uh, and that's not meant in any way shape or form to be an ego thing it's just meant to be musical that you know I'm going to lay this groove down and then I'm going to take it and twist it and maybe you know, go somewhere else. When when we make a change, I'm going to change. You know, I'm very aware of what the band's doing, listening. I don't just play the tune for you know stuff. And uh, it's more with okay, I'm I'm going to control it a little bit more. You know, keep keep it like that. And that's where the bands work. It, with me, it works that way. Like we say, I mean, you're providing the groove. So if if you're not playing lead drum, then somebody else is picking it up. But it's, and then know. usually, yeah, when the drums sound powerful and they're loud, they're, they're, you hit them hard and stuff, you're making a statement. You're controlling it, mm -hmm. you know? If you're wimping out a little bit, then, you know, you're going to play to the band. The band's not going to play to you so much. So, right. uh, so that, that's why all the, mostly all the bands I've been with, they played to me, and it locks in that way, you know? So uh, it was pretty cool, and I'm lucky to be able to do that, you know? So, yeah. All right. Well, I tell you, I don't want to take up too much of your night. I know you're... You would probably want to rest up and chill out before the show and stuff. Yeah, I'm a, I got I got a little bit more time. I mean, we're doing nothing now. We're just waiting for the show time. <laughs> Boring. So if you had any more questions, I don't care. I'll answer them. I got one question, Vinny, about uh, the Strange Highways album. Um, you played about six or seven of the songs in the, in the live set. Um, looking back on it now, that was a bit of a bold move at the time. Was it you and yeah. Ron, was it? Did you recommend to Ronnie, or did Ronnie just say, "Look, we're gonna." I love this album so much. We're just going to play a, a huge chunk. Well, I think Ronnie thought uh, it, was, it was the right thing to do to probably, I don't remember exactly, but knowing the way he, Ronnie thought was, uh, you know, we got a new guitar player. We, we're, we're trying to make a little bit of a comeback here. So maybe we should concentrate on some of the new stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and that wound up carrying over into the live set using a lot of the songs that way. Yeah. Rather than playing all the, the old stuff, uh, Again and again and again, you know. Yeah. And then uh, there's one song in that album, "Jesus, Mary, and the Holy Ghost." And if you listen to that song, we stole that basically from King Crim King Crimson. There's a song in the Court of the Kings, "Crimson King," I think that album's called. Okay. Where, where the voice is through that effect, like a telephone, mm -hmm. and the guitar is just going, and the, the thin voice with the guitar. If you listen to that song, it's almost the same exact idea. Okay. Okay. So Ronnie, Ronnie wanted to do that. He goes, man, let's, let's do something like that. You know, so we just kind of copped the idea and twisted it around a little bit and uh, put it together, you know? Yeah. Now, now, from your end as a drummer, did you change the, the way you played them live as the tour went on, or did you just play them the same as the album? Well, I don't know why I did it, but on the Strange Highway albums, I didn't play very much on it. I played big and open. Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe it was my blue period. I don't know what it was, but uh, usually I would play more to more fills, more more bills and stuff to it. I kind of, because the drum sound was so huge, 
sometimes when the drum sounds are that big, it's hard to play fast rolls, you know? Yeah. They don't sound good. It sounds like, because to me, too much, each note is too big. So they tended to play different on that album. And then when I listened to it, I went, at the end, I go, well, next album, I'm going to start playing all over the place again, you know? And mm-hmm. that was the, the next album, uh, Angry Machine, a lot more playing on it, yeah. yeah. But this album was a, a little bit different, you know? It was bigger guitars and bigger open chords and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so and live, live, I would always put more in it. And do, do you have any favorite tracks on on the album? I like Strange Highways. Uh, I don't know. I, I can't even remember what else is on that album. <laughs> Evolution, Pain. Yeah, Evolution. Yeah, Evolution was interesting too. I mm-hmm. like that song. Yeah. yeah. Was Institutional Man on there? No, that's Angry Machines. I tell you, Vinny, we, we know our strange highways back to front at this stage. <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even remember what's on that album, but it's funny. I, I don't really listen to the, the old stuff, only maybe Holy Diver and Summer Last in Line, things like that. Yeah, you know, you do know the album's 20 years old this year. It's actually this, oh, month, it this month it was released in Europe 20 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and Holy Diver is 30 years. Oh, yeah, 83, <coughs> that's right. right. Yeah. So yeah, when you guys great. went to record, now how did you guys arrange the recording? Did you guys, did you like lay down drum tracks, you know, like do some scratches and you laid down drums? Did you guys go in as a whole band and just vibe off each other? How did you lay down the stuff of the album? Well, we we did it the way we always did it. We go in and we everybody would play together and we try to get drum tracks. And when I was happy with the drum track, then we would go, okay, that's cool. Let's listen to the bass. And if there's anything we need to fix on the bass, sometimes we redid the bass. <clears throat> you know, because we did the whole bass track, but a lot of times we just maybe, if it's a good track, it's because we locked in, we would just 
punching if there was any mistakes. And then usually we just redid the guitars, you know. Guitars seem to sound better when they're done by themselves and not a lot of leakage and stuff like that. And that's the way we always did it. And then mm-hmm. once that was laid down, Ronnie would, would start doing his vocals and then doing his harmonies, doubles, everything. Then maybe some solos, you know, break it up like that. But we always played live. <clears throat> we always played the whole thing live as a band. That's yeah. the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. I've done it either way with you know with the whole band and and like you said, do the whole thing of the band play. You get the drum tracks. And then I've also done it with just laying down a scratch guitar track and having everybody build off of that. And it seems like the the you know the way you that you were talking about doing it as the band and get your tracks that way just does seem to actually just have this just a better overall feel to it than the other way. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of lot of sessions. I've been getting a lot of stuff over the internet going, hey. We- We'd love you to play on this thing. It's uh, okay. Send me the song. You know, I like them and they're they're heavy. I go okay. I'll play on it. And there's just a scratch guitar, and not really any direction. I don't know where the vocals are. I don't know. And I just go okay. It's tricky. What do I do? You know. So I just really play what I feel, and sometimes I'll just make the part what I think it's supposed to be on the drums, which would make the band play it differently. You know, and. it's it's really weird not being able to play with somebody in the in the studio, but then they'll wind up having to you know overdub everything and play the drums, which gives it the next closest thing to yeah you know to making it sound like you know for real like we're all in the same room. But that works too. But it's just you know there's more of a spark when you're all in the same room and you just kick ass. You yeah, know. it's yeah, it's definitely different because I've done some stuff like that too, and especially if people are using like a drum loop when you're trying to play to it. Because I'm used to playing with a live drummer who doesn't play every measure the same way, so the verse isn't the yeah. same as the next verse. I like that difference, and especially when you know playing bass, I like to be able to react to it. And same thing, you know, with guitar. And yeah, it's yeah. it's just not the same as when you're in a room and you, you just kind of get the feeling, you get the look or whatever it is, and it it, it just seems to make yeah. better music. Well, there's there's little things. Like um, I do this a lot, and other drummers might do it. But you know, the first verse, the hi hats are closed tighter, you know, and then you get to a chorus, the thing opens up, and I'm on the ride cymbal and open. Then you go back to the second uh, second verse, and the hi hats are opened a little bit more to hmm. give it more more sound and build it up a little bit. Just subtle things like that, you know. And uh, when you play with somebody in the studio, they would hear that. You know, oh, it's Drums sound like they built up a little bit, a little powerful in the second verse, and they tend to play with it, you know? So right. there's little subtleties that musicians feed off of each other and makes a good uh, feel, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you remember yeah. how long it took to pretty much get all of the the songs written for Strange Highways, you know, with you guys? It seemed like when, you know, we talked to Jeff, we talked to Tracy, and even when we talked to Scott Warren and Mike and stuff, and they all seemed to talk about how quickly you guys tended to work. And is, the, is that kind of your recollection as well, that you got this stuff together in, in pretty short order? Yeah, it might have taken, I mean, our usual time was probably about four weeks, five weeks. So we had a rehearsal room locked out in, uh, I don't know where that was, Van Nuys somewhere, California, and uh, we go there every day. But then we had a problem with, uh, you know, with, with Jimmy. He was starting the thing with us, and then at that point he wasn't showing up. He was showing up late, and he wasn't showing up. So we had a lot of days that were wasted, you know. Mm-hmm. So finally we had to make a decision that, okay, well, either he's not into it, I don't know what's going on, and we need to get somebody else in. So, so that wasted some time. But it's usually run about four or five weeks, I would say, to write 
10 songs, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's damn fast. Yeah. That's like almost Kevin <laughs> Shirley fast right there. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, we record everything, you know, you did the usual thing, listen back, and you know, Ronnie, Ronnie, you know, he's got a feel that he could sing all of this stuff. Hmm. There was some, there were some cool things we did that he, he just didn't feel it, you know? Yeah. And we didn't use it. I yeah. thought they were some cool stuff, really good stuff, but we didn't do that. Yeah, so w- when the album came out, did, um, what, what did you think of the job that the record company did in promoting it? Do you think they did a good job? or? Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, gee, I don't know. Probably didn't do as good a job as they could have did, you know? Yeah, did, did you release uh, any singles? I don't think you released any singles off that album. Or yeah, I don't think that was much of a single album, you know? Yeah. I, I also think having Tracy in the band, it turned more dark mm-hmm. and heavier. And the Dio fans... I don't think they were ready for that so much, you know, yeah. they were used to, Dio was kind of, there was some heavy stuff, but it was a lot of melodic stuff, you know, on the first couple of records. So I think this album might've taken them aback a little bit, like, whoa, yeah. wow, this is darker and heavier. And some people, you know, really liked it. I think some people went, well, I'm, I'm not, this doesn't sound like Dio. Yeah. It sounds a little heavier. So it was a, it was, it was a different turn there. The band turned a little bit. Yeah. yeah, I'm surprised they didn't even try to take, like, maybe take "Here's to You" and put that out as a single. Because even though it wasn't as melodic as a normal Dio song, but it was kind of that crowd building kind of anthemic song that Ronnie was known for too. And you know, that's kind of right. one of those ones. It sounds a little bit different than all the other ones on the album. It's not as dark and does have right. that kind of Ronnie element. I'm surprised they just didn't throw that out there. Yeah, I don't know I don't know why, you know. Um, I don't know. It, you know, it was a different time, too. You know, 19, I think it was 89. And uh, it wasn't uh, as easy to put out singles. I don't know what, mm. what the thought was behind it. But uh, sometimes the record companies, you know, they put out an album and they want to see how it does on its own before they push it. Yeah. Especially now. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's kind of catch-22. You put it out, nobody knows it's out. And then it does how, how are you supposed to sell it if nobody knows it's, it's out? Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I noticed that you guys had already started to do that with Kill Double Hill, where you've already got a couple of, you've been doing some videos and stuff like that and already doing a lot of that promo work. Kind yeah, of we, doing it know, right. we're, we're trying to do it, but uh, we didn't have a lot of support from the first record company, so mm. uh, we put it out and we thought it was a good record and had a sound. We got me and Rex in the band, and we're just, uh, a lot of people didn't know about it. So now this album's on a different label. It's on Century Media. Yeah. And they seem to have a marketing plan and they're excited and they want to push it. And, you know, it's, it's, that's what we need because we're out here now, you know, playing and we need somebody behind the, behind the stage going, yeah, yeah, here's the band. You know? Here's what it's all about. So yeah. You need both. You got to market this shit now, you know? I think the new album definitely sounds more like a band. Than, than the first one. Yeah. I, I think the vocals on it are amazing. Um, yeah, there's but, some good songs and the vocals are great, yeah. you know. Well, the first band we were searching, you know, we actually wrote a lot of those songs. A lot of those songs were me and Mark jamming together and then mm-hmm. going for it. And uh, we didn't have Rex in the band, so we didn't have that big bottom-ass sound. Yeah. And Dewey, Dewey sang the way he sang. And uh, it was more of just self-discovery. Like, what are we, what are we going to sound like, you know? And then it started to come together and then you know we did uh, like two little tours or three little tours one opening up for alice cooper and that really pulls the band together you know and you go on the road together and you start playing the band gets strong and then it gets an identity naturally 
you know, comes into the band, and uh, so the second album was we know what we want to sound like, you know. Mm-hmm. And then Rex came into the band, you know, he wasn't there for a lot, a lot of the writing on the first record, so we didn't have that sound, growling bass, and that whole thing that he does. And uh, so now this album, it's more focused. It's more, we know what we are, so let's write some good songs, put it together. So we don't think this album's actually, you know, better than the first one. And I think it's got more commercial value to it, too. You can play these songs. They're heavy, they hook, they got hooks. Grooves. Yeah, but then they don't, yeah, grooves, yeah. but they're not over the top, you know? Yeah. I think it's also, um, you know, and I had said this to Rex, too, that I, I think that this album is kind of a statement, too, that, you know, when you guys put out the first one, that a lot of people might have viewed it as kind of like, oh, well, geez, Rex is doing something, you know, like a hell yeah kind of thing. It's, you know, it's Rex and Vinny and a couple other guys, and it's like a project. But I think this album now comes out, and it shows that you guys are definitely a band. It's not some little fly-by-night project. It's a band. Yeah, it's a band, and unfortunately, you know, we can't survive solely on this band, and that's why I do other things. You know, I have to do other things. And uh, and I like to do other things, too. So it's not that, I'm, you know, it's a band and then we're just, uh, you know, it's a side project. We would like this to be able to do this full time. That's, I mean, that's one of my dreams in my career was to have my own band, you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's successful. And then you can decide, hey, yeah, let's go out for the summer and play some big festivals and make some good money so you don't have to worry about it and travel a little bit more comfortable. You know, it, it would be nice to be in control of your destiny like that. So uh, that was always one of my dreams. I played with all these legends and big bands, but it wasn't my band. You know, as yeah. much as me and Ronnie started this thing, he owned the band, you know, and uh, I'm not going to retire off of it. But, uh, you know, it was always a dream to start something and, and be accepted musically and then be some, somewhat successful with it. So you can go, you know what? Now I don't have to kill myself so much. We just <clears throat> will go out and do a nice summer tour, you know, do it right. But uh, it's not happened yet. So we have to go out. We don't make money. Mm. This band, you know, it loses money because nobody knows it yet. So right. we can't. That's why we got to do other things until it, it happens. But this album's great. Our heart's into it, and it's real, and it's a band. Excellent. So uh, when we play live, we kick fucking ass. Yeah, well, well, I, <laughs> I, I really kicked ass. Yeah, I hope, so, you go, I hope you come to the Boston area anyway, and I'll definitely go. <laughs> I think we are. I think we are coming there. Yeah. Because my friend lives in Boston and was, was emailing me and shit. So. Okay. Excellent. I think we're coming close by. Yeah. Yeah. That'll definitely be great. Yeah. And it it is kind of a shame, too, you know, that bands like you that are really, you know, that are great live, that write great songs, and it's like you're kind of like pulling teeth to to try to make money in in the business. And, you know, you think back to all these other bands when we were growing up that were able to do it with, you know, sometimes without even the same kind of songwriting or chops that you guys have. And it's like, you know, yeah. like, what the hell? What's gone wrong here? I know. I know. It's confusing. You go, what, what the fuck's going on? Years ago, if this was the 80s, me and Rex, we would have got a, a huge record deal, hmm. you know, and you'd have that, a huge merch deal. We would have been able to, you know, go out get a bigger tour, you know, and go out and do it. There was more of a formula back then. Now it's like nobody, I don't think anybody knows really what's how to do it. <laughs> you know, with the internet, the things are getting downloaded for free. Yeah. You know, how do you promote? Now, there's no more magazines. There's no circus magazines. And so now you've got to do ads on, on 
on the internet and it's a whole different thing, you know? So, uh, but like you said, you know, it's, uh, it's a shame because the band is great and it's not just a band playing songs. We jam, you know, I always twist it around, you know, you want to see a performance too. This is a a good band to see. Mm -hmm. So it just needs to be marketed correctly. And when people hear it, this is a good album to do that with. They got good tools. Hopefully century media will, will do a good job and, and get the, the word out, you know? Mm-hmm. So all you need is one song to start catching on, you know? And all of a sudden, oh man, this Kill Devil Hill band is pretty good. <laughs> no, no, this new band, Kill Devil Hill, these guys are new. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's true. It's it's right. Because you, you know if you get that song and it catches on that you're going to have 75% of the DJs across the country that are going to say, yeah, these yeah these are brand new guys, like no clue at all. I mean, that's I mean, right. remember that when we were growing up, right? I mean, DJs, you'd listen to them and be like, these guys, they know everything about music. They're like freaking awesome. Right. And now you got these people that they're just pushing a button, playing an MP3, and half the time they have no clue even what's coming out on the air. It's a right. shame. and that And that's the same thing right i mean they don't dig in even if they get that that one song from you guys and it's great what's the chance that one of these djs is going to actually break company policy and go you know what i like track seven a hell of a lot better i'm going to roll that one instead it's like it's not going to mm-hmm. happen and they wonder why the business sucks the way that it does well there's even things with some of these sites where you have to buy credits and then you get so many spins and mm-hmm. it's just like hello isn't it payola <laughs> <laughs> you know Fucking crazy. One kid last night, it's funny because we played, the young kid, he came up to me and went, uh, well, first, you know, before that, you get these kids, guys come up, Vinny, man, you a legend, yeah, you, you did this, oh, man, Sabbath. And then this kid comes up, he goes, how long you, hey, when did you, how long have you been playing? Did you just start playing? <laughs> I, said, well, I, I said, I've been playing two years now. <laughs> We're all laughing. He's believing it. He doesn't know anything about what I did or any of the band. It was funny. It's funny, funny stuff. <laughs> That's like he's at the show and he doesn't know who's in the band. So pretty crazy. <laughs> How long are you playing? Huh? Two years, I think it's going on. We're all laughing. So. <laughs> yeah, I picked it up from my brother. My brother's played for three years now. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's three years, yeah, and I'm <laughs> I'm going on my third year next year, so <laughs> pretty long time. <laughs> Yeah, it is very messed up. I mean, even like one of my daughters, she's in high school, and I could. She went into school one day. We we saw Deep Purple. They love Deep Purple, and she went in. Yeah. And they're all like, "What's this Deep Purple thing?" And she's just came home. Dad, I can't freaking believe it. They're asking me, and I'm telling them, and they're just looking at me like I'm lying to them. What the hell's wrong with them? I'm like, I, I don't know. Right. It's pathetic. Like, who doesn't know who the hell Deep Purple is? The Rock and Roll, right. the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame don't know who they are. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> I know it's really well. It's good that these kids are still discovering this older music, you know, the, the old classic music. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, otherwise we wouldn't be doing being able to do this, you know. Yeah. So they're, they're uh, discovering this stuff. My niece, I mean, call my daughter was actually discovering DL stuff you know mm-hmm. so awesome well i'm hoping that this album will do well i know you know our plan is we're definitely going to promote the heck out of it on our show let everybody know about it and stuff and i'll obviously go to the shows as well while you guys come through because that's i think that's really where you guys are going to shine is is you got to catch you guys live yeah where are you where are you guys at and you're in the boston area yeah yeah, yeah just outside of boston yeah oh, cool yeah so I, I know we're playing there somewhere so just send uh send me an email when you when you see we're coming by and we'll hook up excellent 
Excellent. Yeah, loved it. Loved it, Vinny. All right. All right. Well, well, I guess I'm going to go and uh, hit hit some things. Psyching out. <laughs> yeah. All right, Vinny. Exactly. All, All right. right. All right. Nice talking to you yeah. guys, and uh, thanks for all the support and everything. And if you need anything else, email me. Okay. Sure. Hey, no problem. Sorry, right, took Vinny. so long. This. No, no, it's cool. No problem. Thanks, okay. Man. And we're firm believers. Right. You're, you're doing a hell of a job for someone who's only played for two years. Just it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Right. I can't right, wait till you hear what I sound like next year. <laughs> Awesome, man. All right, guys. All right, take care. Have a good show. Bye. Okay, bye. So that's a wrap for Exit 3 of our Strange Highways project. Lots of great stories out of Vinny. Especially enjoyed the bungee cord drum story. That was probably my favorite Vinny story of the episode. So like I had said before, if you missed the first two of this series, you can either go to iTunes, they're on there, or up to focusonmetal.net. Catch those episodes right off our episodes page or on castironring.com. You can catch those two episodes up there as well. And while you're there, check out some of the other great podcasts up on the Cast Iron Ring. Hope you guys like this one. We still got a ton more Strange Highways content to go. So we will be bringing these to you every so often until we get them all wrapped up. So that's a little, pro- I don't know, probably another two months before we finish them all up. So I figure since we talked to Vinny and Vinny's latest project is Kill Devil Hill, let's switch gears a little bit and give a little exposure to the latest thing that Vinny is working on. So we're going to roll a little KDH as we end this episode. So this is Scott Thompson for Richie and myself telling you, have yourselves a good metal week. Talk to you next week. And remember, focus on metal. Everything else is insignificant. From the new Kill Devil Hill release, Revolution Rise, this is Wake Up the Dead. (laughs) 